but moments that matter. Moments that matter. Moments that matter. So welcome to this special edition of the Moments That Matter podcast series. I'm your host, Darren Clear, and in today's edition of the podcast, we're going to be looking specifically at men's health in recognition of Movember and obviously everything that happens in this month to focus on men's health, not only from a physical health point of view, but also from a mental health point of view. We're focusing on three different conversations today, and within those discussions, we do cover those areas quite extensively. We're going to look at the importance of having regular checkups with your GP from a physical health point of view, but also looking at how to be proactive in looking after your physical and mental health in order to not ignore some warning signs, which quite often happens with men and leads to bigger problems down the track. We're also going to be looking at mental health and ways that you can support your own mental health, not only from sort of getting checkups and acknowledging any problems that you may have, but also things you can do for yourself in order to help support this important part of your life. And also within this discussion, we're going to be looking at ways we can role model for ourselves for the next generation of men to follow and how important our actions are in leading the way on that front. We're going to start though with a conversation with Rick and Rick is someone who we diagnosed with prostate cancer and has since had an operation is in the clear from that. But the point of this discussion was to really focus in on the importance of his regular checkups in how that was able to not only detect and diagnose the prostate cancer, but obviously allow him to get the treatment and just how important early detection is in this important area as you get in those later years and you follow the medical advice of having those regular sort of checkups. So Rick, thanks for joining me today. What we want to get across within our conversation today is the importance of being proactive uh, with your health checks once you get to a certain stage in your life as a man. Talk us through your experience from having your regular health checks uh, and how that picked up the prostate problems that you, you that you experienced. Yeah, well, having a regular blood test once a year, they pick up. I have a full a full test, and you have it picks up everything in your blood. So if there's any cancer of any description, um, it picks it up, and and they because one of that tests is a prostate check, and it picked up that I was a little bit high, so I went and had it uh, looked at, and a prostate cancer. And it, and it was quite so, an aggressive form, wasn't it? I mean, and you yep. had to, once you sort of got the test results back, then you had to make a decision in terms of um, how to treat that and ended up being surgery. Is that right? Yeah, well, you've, you've got to get go to a, a specialist, get uh, put off to a specialist. Then you've got to wait the time to go and see the specialist. Not being privately covered, you've just got to wait your turn sort of thing. And... You're sort of a, a little bit worried at that stage because everything seems to take like it's eight weeks down the track or it's ten weeks down the track before you can see these people, and um, you're sort of thinking, well, how how severe is it? And because until they do the biopsies and everything, you don't really know. And then it comes back. I had, well, according to them, I had, uh, I think it was ten percent cancer. Um, but as it turned out, it was actually a lot higher than that. It was about 25%. Well, that does highlight the importance, doesn't it, of being proactive and picking it up early, because if you well, hadn't been able to pick it up... that's the whole thing. If, yeah, if I hadn't have, if we hadn't have picked up on it, 
as the surgeon said to me, when when he done the surgery, he he also stated that he takes the nervous system. He said a lot of them don't do it. He said, but I do. He said because if it gets into the little nervous system, which is underneath the prostate, he said it's then like a conduit to the rest of your body, and the cancer spreads right through your body. So when I went back to see him after the surgery, he said to me, uh, well, I've got some good news and some bad news. And I went, "Uh oh, (laughs) (laughs) and he said, he said, the bad news is, he said, you didn't have 10% prostate cancer, you had 25%. And he said, remember when I told you about the little nerve um, underneath the prostate? And I said, yes. He said, well, the cancer had got into that. And I went, oh, no, because that was, he, he, he emphasised that that was the, the big worst thing that can happen. And uh, then he said, but the good news is we got it all. And I thought to myself, why didn't you tell me that in the first place? <laughs> <laughs> it's fair to say, isn't it? If, I mean, if, we, if you didn't get onto it when you did you would have been in, in, in a lot of trouble and, and oh, look, more than likely wouldn't be here. Yeah, well, I can't stress enough to have regular checks at, at, on at least once a year to pick these things up. Prostate cancer is normally a very slow-growing cancer, but for some reason in men, every now and then it picks up, something sparks it, and it just takes off. My neighbour next door I only found out a week ago is um, inoperable with prostate cancer. He wasn't getting his checks. Now, unfortunately for him, there's nothing they can do. It's gone right through his body. So that, that obviously that got into his little nervous system under the prostate. Mm, and then it spreads and from there. And then it just travels through your body. Mm. Yeah. And goes into your livers, your liver, kidneys, a lot. And how long ago was it that we're talking about when, when you've been picked up and, and, and since had the operation? I'll be 12 years ago now. Well, what sort of things have you been able to do in those 12 years that obviously you wouldn't be wouldn't have been doing because you're not here? Just about everything. Uh, been diving on the barrier reef. I play me golf regular. Just enjoying life. You still have your checks? Your regular health checks, uh, oh, yeah, even yeah, since yeah. I still, I still get checked, still get checked every year. Yeah, and uh, I still have the full blood test, and uh, that lets me know that everything's still all right. I mean, I obviously I can't get cancer in the prostate, but I can still get cancer other places. Mm. So, for the first uh, probably five years after the operation, um, it's still. A regular, very regular check. I think from memory, uh, I used to go about every six months for, for quite a few years. Um, and then it's back to 12 months. Mm. But, uh, yeah, because it's, it can it can come out somewhere else later on if they didn't get it all. But I was lucky they got it all. And the final question for you this morning is, what advice would you have for people wanting to get on ladders once they to go past the age of, say, 65? Not a problem. Just make sure that the ladder is not a wooden one that's been under the house for about 20 years. <laughs> well, that's that's another story for another podcast. So. 
So there you go, and if we had a bit longer, we could certainly get into the discussion of Rick's experiences with ladders, but uh, probably not something that we need to discuss and cover today on this podcast. We're going to move on from there, though, and talk now to Aidy, and Aidy, someone that we've spoken to in the past about his problems with sleep apnea in particular. And what I'm focusing on here is that Aidy's experience has been a little bit the opposite of Rick's in some ways, in the sense that he probably wasn't proactive enough in getting the help that he needed. So we're going to cover that side of the conversation off and then look at how his life has changed since he got the medical intervention he needed to deal with the sleep apnea. And then we're also going to touch on the importance of role modelling behaviours to the next generation and how he does that for his son. So, Aidy, thanks for joining us uh, tonight. I've just finished speaking to Rick and he's talked to me about the importance of being proactive with getting health checks and sort of looking after your health, uh, particularly from, I guess, seeing a doctor point of view and, and, as I say, being proactive once you notice that something is wrong. Talk to us a bit about your experience, though, because you probably had a little bit of the opposite experience where you weren't as proactive as you probably should have or could have been, uh, and it led to some health issues that we've discussed on previous podcasts. Yeah, I, I'm, I think generally men tend to kind of push these things aside and uh, and not get on to things quick enough. And, uh, you know, we're all busy. Uh, you know, we're always saying, oh, I haven't got time for that. But uh, my, my health issue was um, really uh, around sleep apnea. And uh, knowing, I, I knew in, in the back of my mind, I knew I had sleep apnea. But I knew once I had it diagnosed, I knew then... I'm going down the road of being on a machine and, uh, and and locked into that. So I kind of pushed it aside, you know, pretending it wasn't there. But I was feeling a lot of, uh, I was feeling very tired, uh, very sort of muddled, uh, you know, concentration wasn't great. But as it progressed, I got more and more um, sort of effects from it. And um, I would I'd wake up in the night with my heart pounding because my body sort of kicked in a lot of adrenaline. And I was doing that, uh, I think, 26 times an hour. Um, so then your body kicks in and uh, and gets you going again. But it, it, it means you wake up quite often with uh, feeling pretty pretty horrible. Uh, and, and then, you know, you've had a very disturbed sleep all night and uh, you wake up feeling pretty pretty tired in the morning. How long are we talking about that you sort of put up with those symptoms for before you went and, and did something about it? Oh, oh probably... F- maybe five years or something. I mean, maybe it may be even uh, longer than that, but I hadn't really kind of, you know, recognized it. Uh, I just thought, oh, I'm quite tired. I must have had a restless night. But, um, you know, people around me were saying, uh, I think you might have a, a, you know, an issue because, you know, the snoring, I mean, but the, the pattern of my snoring and, you know, I would kind of get to a point and then just stop. Uh, and then the body would kickstart me again and, but uh, and it's 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 not only the tiredness; it's it's got other health issues around. You know, it can increase your blood pressure. Uh, you know, and uh, you know, it puts a lot of strain on on your body generally. Yeah. And how has your life changed for the better since you you made the changes and, and you got it checked out and you've you've since got the sleep apnea machine uh, and you're obviously sleeping a lot better now. How, what what sort of positive impact has that had on your life? Oh, on on me. Uh, it's been, uh, you know, I'm less tired, less, confu- you know, uh, concentration's a lot better, uh, less irritable. And so it's not just around me, it's around 
people around me that you know I might be a bit short-tempered or um, you're not really you know concentrating on what they're saying maybe all the time when I should be um, so that's improved so it's not just uh, what happens to me physically uh, or, and mentally uh, but it's the people around you as well so it, it affects uh, you know, everybody in the whole thing so have you had a chance to look back and think about it and think what is it about I guess your personality or even if we want to expand it to men in general that makes us think I'll just push through this and I don't have time to go and see the doctor and I just don't have time to worry about this at the moment. It's it's always sort of tomorrow's problem. I mean, and, and, and that sort of seems like how it was with you. What, what is it about you and, and, and as I said, maybe men in general that makes us think like that? Uh, you know, what one issue is, you know, we're, we're busy in life and, and the thought of, oh, I've got to take time to go and see a doctor and oh, I'll, I'll do that later. You know, it's also pushing it aside because you don't want to admit you're, <laughs> you know, you've got a health issue kind of thing. You go, oh, you know, you like to think you're more invincible. Um, and, uh, you know, we're all getting older all the time and you don't like to admit that's making changes and, and other things come along. So you kind of pretend that you're all good. And sometimes you push through because you think, oh, you know, I'm fine. I'm all good, you know, and uh, you grin and bear it. So, uh, you know, it's it's not good to, I mean, I what was very good for me was I, uh, a very positive thing was when I did finally go, I also found a very good doctor uh, and, you know, he, he was really encouraging. Now I have regular checkups um, for, you know, all things. And uh, uh, I, one other thing that's coming about, my blood pressure is a little bit, just going a little bit high so now i, I take a, a blood pressure medication as well so you know it's it's things change as you get older and you've just got to keep on top of it it's uh you know we're all sort of uh, you know things things start to break down a little bit and uh, you need to just you know make sure there's nothing going seriously wrong well do you look back to what your own dad and how he might have been with his health and whether he was reticent to go to the doctor and get checked out and then does that sort of flow on through do you think from generation to generation yeah i, th I think uh you know my, my my dad was generally very very healthy um never very very rarely got sick but then suddenly had a heart attack and one that was a, a, a silent heart attack that he could have ignored the signs and he was he was ignoring he was actually ignoring the signs saying oh i just feel a little bit off and a bit of a clammy chest and and it was actually the uh, lady, the receptionist uh, where he worked, and she said, you need to get that checked. And if he hadn't, he would have died. So another example of men kind of going, well, no, I'll push through. I'm sure I'll be fine. But he had a major heart attack. And if he hadn't have got medical assistance, um, he would have died. And I think generational thing is, you know, the old generation don't like to talk, you know, didn't like to talk about their feelings much and, 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 you know, battled on a bit, and um, you know, I mean, my, you know, going back to say my grandfather, he he was a fairly closed-off character, and that you know had knock-on effect with my dad as well. He was, you know, he he, he was a very introverted, quiet person, um, but I think it helps when you, when you you know with our generation um, and going forward. I think men are better at talking about their feelings. You know, I make sure that I I talk to my son and and tell him how I feel about him, which. You know, I don't really remember so much of that when I was younger. I never felt that there wasn't, um, you know, uh, a loving relationship there. But we weren't, you know, it wasn't so open. And I think now that's a, a good result is um, people are more, you know, it's it's not considered unmanly to say to your, your child, I love you, you know, and, um, right. and open up about your feelings and um, maybe talk if you're not feeling that great. 
you know, if there's other things going on in your life and, and talking to people about it. Well, that's the two things, isn't it? I mean, it's about the physical health and mental health. And I think we yeah. can do something to really role model to the next generation to have regular checkups. And I mean, look, it was role modeled to me more through my mum, uh, who was a nurse and, and never let you know any sort of uh, medical problem. We were straight to the doctor growing up. So it's it's more being drummed into me. So it's not, not something that I would generally do uh, to let things go on the physical side. But certainly that's the sort of role modeling. But it's also with the mental health where you can, uh, again, be proactive uh, about talking about these things and, and taking action if you're not if you're not feeling well from a mental health point of view. But it's also about, I guess, showing uh, the next generation that it is okay to have, to show your feelings to other people, particularly within the family. Um, because it was, I remember a, a moment when I was growing up and uh, my father broke down the tears because an old friend of his had died and mum shooed us out of the room because it was sort of, it was considered um, taboo mm. to have the children watch the father cry, you know, because you've you've got to sort of act like a man and, and things like that. I think that was what yeah. I'm thinking. Whereas I think we're sort of moving beyond that now and I think it's, it's probably a good thing that we're able to show uh, the next generation that, again, it's, it's all right uh, to show your feelings and it's all right to feel sadness and, and feel happiness and all these sort of different emotions it's all right to sort of have that out there i mean do you sort of get a sense of that as well i mean coming from as you said from a, a family that maybe didn't wear their heart on their sleeve that much and and to sort of try and role model that to your son you know more effectively if you like through through your parenting yeah i mean I, you know my mum was a, a a very warm person and um and a lot more sort of uh, open with feelings and uh, you know i'm not saying my dad was a cold person but he just uh, didn't express himself uh, as openly and so yeah i, I just uh, you know my parents both both passed away and so you know i'm very conscious of i i know you know we don't last forever and i'm very conscious of saying how i feel to my son um because you know i don't know how long i'll be around and i want to make sure that he has memories of, of me talking about my feelings for him and you know as he grows up um hopefully he'll be more open and talk about his feelings with his children if he has them you know and what what are the main areas that you think when when you're role modeling for matthew what are the main areas that you sort of focused on uh within that sort of uh, side of your parenting oh i'm very much you know trying to want him to be a good person we we, we emphasize that you know so, sometimes you're not always going to be the best at things and you know you, you're not always going to come first uh and i'm not going to be disappointed if you if you you know if you don't um uh but you know as long as you, you think they're trying their best and they're giving it a go then i'm not going to berate <laughs> berate anybody for, for not for coming second um but uh you know it's it's very important to to make give give them confidence uh, and um, make sure that they, you know, they don't feel insecure about things and um, and it also open that um, he can he can come to me and talk to me about things. Um, you know, this uh, it, it's a it's a much different relationship, like say mine uh, with my son than, than it was with my father. But uh, I was very close to my dad, but it just um, like I say, just it was a different generation, and I want that to be different with my son yeah it was i mean it's very different wasn't it? it's not you know and, and i think back i mean 
my relationship with my dad's a little bit different. You know, there's not much that's been left unsaid over the years. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think it is a generational thing, you're right, where, the, you know, it, it certainly was um, a situation where, you know, there wasn't an openness. And I, and I think that's something that we we really need. I mean, that, that's certainly part of it. And I think the other part of it is setting standards for yourself and sort of showing that, you know, there are certain things that are, you know, socially unacceptable uh, and, yes. and there is a way yeah. to sort of carry yourself. Uh, and I think we're, we're seeing, and I've seen that with Adam, who's come out as trans in the last 12 months, and just mm. the most problems that he's had probably been more through adults, just not sort of getting on board rather than the, the, the kids and, and and his age group generally have been very good. And I think that comes Gen from... Generally, they're far more accepting, aren't they, you know, to younger generation there. You know, they, they, they accept it far more than uh, maybe some adults do. And, and again, it's it's a different generation, an older generation. Um, it, it can feel very confusing for them and confronting. Um, so, yeah, it's, uh, uh, you know, I mean, we, we, we're very um, keen to get across, you know, there's certain uh, right things to do around people and, and, and the way you treat people. Um, uh, be a good person, be, be honest and be caring and, you know, and, and respectful to uh, to everybody. You know, and, and and how you know him being a boy, how he he treats uh, women in his life. Um, it's 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 really important. You know, it's, uh, we we care a lot about that. So for the final part of today's podcast, we're going to be talking to an old friend of mine, Matt Dell. And within this, we're going to be focusing on the mental health benefits that come from volunteering. And the reason that we're highlighting this is that even though you might take on board some of the things that we're saying about the importance of trying to look after your mental health, if you're working full-time, particularly if you're in the metropolitan area, it can be very difficult to find opportunities to be able to really enhance your mental health and well-being within the workspace. So you need to try and proactively find areas where you can do this outside of the work environment and that's where volunteering can play a very important role and that's something that we cover off here with Matt where he takes us through his history in volunteering and just how much he gets out of that practice and then at the end of that we're also going to touch a little bit on some changes that Matt's made in terms of looking after his physical health and in turn the benefits that that has had on his mental health overall, which will hopefully serve as a really nice way to round out our conversations today in focusing on men's health. Okay, Matt, thanks for joining me today. I want you to start by just taking me through your history with volunteering because I know you've been involved with a number of different organisations, primarily the Milton Dollar Apex Club, but take me through your history with volunteering and, and maybe some of the things that you have been involved with over the years. I have been involved in, in a number of things. The, the longest running one, which is on a slight pause at the moment as, as the world is for COVID, is probably the entertainers. So I think I, I did that uh, a year or two out of school, um, had a couple of years off when I went to Sydney. So, I mean, that's probably 25-year affiliation with um, the Milton Dollar Entertainers, which is a local singing, performing group, live band, raises money. I think we've raised an equivalent of a million dollars or something over the years and it is a bit of a social event on the calendar usually. So, you know, I was lucky enough to have um, some, some good people um, in and around me, in, you know, growing up. Uh, you know, my dad was a bit of a volunteer. My, my stepdad certainly was a, a community-orientated person. 
since you know I've met and married Tracy, she's uh, has a lot to do with the local scouts. So she's a community orientated person, as was her family. So, you know, uh, like attracts like, I guess. And out of that, uh, I ended up joining. Actually, I was president of the Business Chamber for about three years before I, uh, as a youngish person, before I ended up uh, joining Apex. Um, after that. Since then, uh, I've been on the board of the Bendigo Bank, affiliated through Apex. I'm on the board of the uh, Lions Ulladulla Community Foundation that built the house for Jindalara Cottage, you know, and a number of other uh, sort of community groups here and there. So, finger in a few pies, mate. Have you ever said no when someone's asked you to join up a volunteer group locally? I, I only learned that <laughs> I only learned that lesson a, a bit later in life. I've I, uh, I did say no to uh, another great initiative actually locally um, that I came through uh, back on the board of the business chamber and and uh, we were approached to consider helping set up the community country university centre uh, and I, I did do a, a tiny bit of uh, work on that and then jumped out and uh, some other good people jumped in and pleased to say they have got the country university centre up and running and it'll, it'll be open I think in 2021 but but I actually said no to that. I finally said no to continuing on the bank board after 14 years. And uh, I took over from my dad kind of thing on that one. And um, 14 years later, and the kids have grown up and the, the world's a different place. But I, fi- I finally said no, but I'm still helping out there a little bit. Look, I mean, someone said to me the other, or I read somewhere, I think that uh, no is a decision and yes is an obligation. But it took me about 45 years to work that out. <laughs> And what would you say, what would your advice be to a young person that if you could go back in time even to someone your age when you first started volunteering, I mean, what, what what would you say is the main advantages from being involved in these sort of volunteer organisations through the years? Look, it, it's, it's all about people and it's all about connectedness, I think. And, you know, look, 2020 has been, uh, we'll go down in history as, you know, uh, a year to sort of, forget or, or a lesson, I guess, rather than a victory. And, and one of the things that you, you learn pretty quickly when, you know, I mean, we haven't been locked, you and I haven't been locked down like the people in Melbourne, but as soon as you, you we start experiencing some of these things or, or, or any crisis in your own personal life, really, you, your, your connection with other people um, becomes really important. So, you know, if, you, if you're locked down in, in, in Melbourne at the moment or, or just out, you know, the last three or four months, if you didn't have friends and family, if you didn't have a strong connection with the maybe the people, you know, that you live with, but but even a wider support network, then that makes that really hard. As human beings, we're supposed to inter- interact with each other. We're a bit of a tribe, right? So I think the beauty of, you know, meeting people, you know, my family's involved in scouts. The beauty of taking a teenager and, and putting them in a situation where they're in a room with a bunch of other teenagers, or, you know, or younger, who may may or may not in social settings in a high school situation may or may not hang out together but now we're in we're in a group of five or ten or twenty and we have to work together we're learning off each other we're doing those kind of things that's you know that's a different situation than you know a peer setting or a high school setting or you know whatever so the benefit of that, I think, is that you you connect more with other people, and in in that connection, you know, you learn things. You, you keeps you keeps you you know active, maybe physically active if that's what you're into. Uh, it keeps your mind sharp. You know, I mean, some of the some of the uh, our older population, you know, if they stop being involved in certain things, yeah, that might be the workforce and they retire. If they don't have other interests when they retire. 
then they go home and, and sort of become sedentary and, and um, their life diminishes in some ways, even if not physically for a while. So, you know, I, I just think volunteering is connecting with people. That's what volunteering is. I mean, I guess it's this, this possibility to volunteer and do something all by yourself, but mostly volunteering is about the people. It's about your group, you know. It's about the, the other people that you're there with who may or, you know, depending on the kind of group you're involved in, you may or may not otherwise have, have connected with. And, you know, that's lifelong learning, that's um, skills, but, you know, it's, it's um, you give, you get more than you give uh, when you give, you know, with an open mind, I think. Mm. And I think it's a, there is a large networking factor behind it, isn't there? Both from a professional point of view, which can help you, but also, I think, and more importantly, from that personal point of view, which helps you to build those connections across the community. Yeah, look, I think if, if, you, go, if, you, if you go with, a, with an open mind and, a, and an open heart, uh, as sort of a bit naff as that sounds, but if you, if you go to something with, with the best intentions, and that could be you know, volunteering at the footy or the netball, it could be you know, volunteering in the tuck shop for your kid's school or whatever. Like, it doesn't have to be some grand unity scheme, right? Like, as long as you go there without too much ego, without too much, um, you know, preconception, and then you just talk to people. You know, I, like, I love um, just cooking a barbecue or, you know, whatever, where um, lots of people come through. You know, like, I, you, we talk about Apex, and you and I are in Apex and have been for a long time now. You know, I joined Apex because they finally took me into coming along to the Milton show and they, they were doing the gates. They collect the ticket money on the way in. And, you know, I didn't really know what Apex was or whatever. My dad had been involved and, you know, but I didn't really have the right perception of, of what it was and what they did. And then I stood on the gates there for two days and collected money from people that came in and said g'day to people I hadn't seen for years saw how tall their kids were or whatever, you know, just made idle conversation with people as they came past. And I just walked away from there on a cloud going, okay, I'm, I'm in, like I'm, I'm joining up because these people are coming past. It's just a personal, like it's just like saying day to somebody in the street who you might vaguely know. And when, when you get, you know, even a little better at these sort of things, you know, customer service kind of mentality, you start talking to people you don't know. You know, it, it changes your perception of the world of being, you know, open to connect with people, listen to other people. I probably talk too much and I'm doing it now, but, you know, there's a chance of, um, yeah, of, of literally just keeping your, your, your mind and your ideas sort of fresh rather than closed off, I think. And that's, and that's what it's about. When you look back on your, your career in volunteering, is there any particular things that you think I'm going to be most proud of uh, you know, when, when I do sit back and reflect on, on all the things that I've been involved with? Look, we didn't build any Mount Rushmore's or anything like that. Like, there's no monument um, to, to most things that most... And, look, that, that's probably true of volunteering in general, isn't it? You know, I mean, most most mums who help out at the, the school canteen or, or, you know, most dads who go and help train the footy team or something, there's no... There's no great medal that you win from it or whatever, I guess. You know, there's been some recognition and uh, over time and, and um, you know, I, I appreciate that. But it's not really like, you know, I, I get paid every day someone says day, or I saw you in the entertainers, it was great, when are they coming back? Or, you know, we love an Apex sausage barbecue or the entertainers has been fantastic. But I, I did that because I enjoyed it, you know. I mean, if no one came, then it'd just be me and my mates standing around singing. But... It's lovely that, uh, you know, um, people have paid money to come and, and see me be an idiot, basically. 
Um, the Christmas carols is, is almost exactly the same thing. But I tell you what, like if I'm standing up the front of the Christmas carols, which again, unfortunately, this year aren't on, but you know, and I'm singing along and wearing my red suit with Christmas pictures on it and whatever, I'm having the most fun of anyone there. Um, so you know, I'm not. In some ways, I'm not doing it um, because I, you know, there's some some milestone or something that that would be happy we 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 achieved. It's it's uh you know I, I always sort of think of it as it's uh, at best it's a it's a team effort anyway. You know, like it's everybody. Uh, it's a success of Apex. It's a success of the entertainers. You know, and, and I'm only a small part. And last question to you. I just wanted to touch base you about. Uh, you, you've sort of become a, a, a I don't know about fitness, fitness fanatics probably putting too fine a point on it but you've yeah, certainly definitely too fine a point <laughs> but you've certainly been more I guess physically active in the last few years in terms of you know working out on a regular basis and things like that what have, what have you found you've gotten out of that you know in terms of not only your physical health but your mental health as well yeah look it's a valid point in 2020 is the year to talk about mental health right I think the thing for me is is just uh, look we all we all battle with a bit of perception of self and and those kind of things and you know you remember well you know I was the big kid at school and uh, stand out in the crowd and I guess I still do but now I don't worry about it quite so much but um, you know the reality is that uh, probably by the time Alex is born we've got baby photos and young photos like I was probably one twenty five one thirty that's that's thirty kilos too heavy. And, um, you know, over just, uh, but this, I guess, being open to new ideas, being open to, you know, learning a bit and, and observing, uh, uh, observing and um, absorbing a few things. You know, I've read a couple of books. I've read an article in Men's Health about a guy who cut out a lot of starchy white carbs. And I thought, oh, well, that's not that hard. Let's just not re- eat rice and pasta for a while. And I, like, lost 10 kilos. And I went, oh, Okay. So, and then, I, you know, I read a book by Tim Ferriss, The 4-Hour Body or whatever, and, you know, he just put, put a few extra things, and I, I lost another 5 or 10 kilos. And I thought, oh, okay, this is not that hard. And and then, you know, um, I, I do like, uh, a, you know, a bit of the a bit of workout, and it just makes you feel a bit better about yourself, I guess, if you if you feel a little, a little bit stronger or whatever. And then I went to uh, the CrossFit gym and, you know, um, the thing with that, that resonated there for me, and this might um, be true of other people, is I, I found that working out is, is fine. You know, I can put some music on or whatever, and that's sort of an enjoyable thing and, and the outcome is, is, is nice. But it's very, um, it's very solo and it's very, you know, uh, all about me kind of thing. And uh, whereas if you go to an exercise class, whether that's water aerobics or, you know, aerobics or dancing or you know, in my case, CrossFit, which involves, you know, um, some high-intensity um, repetitions, that, you know, over a short period of time, along with weights and so on, then, you know, you get a lot of bang for your buck. I, I find that, uh, you know, two or three times a week of that will be, uh, and, and a bit of then just day-to-day, you know, walking or whatever is, is enough to, to have made quite a difference. And um, But it's also like a team environment. I like CrossFit in particular because, even though we're all trying to do the same thing and get the highest score we can, it's not competitive, it's collaborative. You know, in the middle of, of doing something, I'll stop to, 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 you know, cheer on the person next to me who stopped, you know, or whatever, and other people do the same for me. So I just like that. And it's just another way to be around people. It's another way to, to be in a positive environment. 
um, you know, those kind of things. So, look, whatever that is, it could be a bushwalking group. It could be, you know, as I say, water aerobics that some of the ladies go to, those kind of things. I think anything, um, you know, fitness is good and some people are made to run marathons by themselves or whatever and more power to you if that's you. Uh, but that ain't me. So, you know, I needed to find something that um, involved wasn't all about me and all about self-centred and, and was about, you know, shared with it and collaborated with other people. And so I find CrossFit is, is good for that. And, um, you know, I'd recommend it. And how's the Mo coming along for November? Uh, I've skipped that one this year. Uh, I do have a, I have done November a couple of times, but I tell you, there's a lot more grey than, uh, than brown or black in there these days. And, I started to look a bit like Grizzly Adams. I scare myself, so I've, I've given I've, I've given that one away. I'll just uh, give some money to some other people. I think. Yeah. So there you have it. Three very different conversations, I think, and three people with different backgrounds and different overall experiences. But hopefully what you've got from this is a number of different lessons around the importance of being proactive in looking after your physical and mental health in terms of getting regular checkups from your GP and acknowledging if you may be struggling in certain areas of your mental health. And then also the promote ways that you can enhance your mental health outside of work and obviously volunteering and enhancing your physical fitness regime may be two ways you can do that or there may be other ways that you might think of that you can try and help yourself in that area but hopefully this podcast has at the very least got you thinking about some areas where you may be able to improve your mental and physical health and well-being and if like Matt you're not growing a mo for November this year you can still get on and support this very worthy cause at movember.com where you can either make a donation and who knows, you might even find a friend on there that's growing a mow for themselves across this important month which is seeking to change the face of men's health not only in Australia but across the world. Mm-hmm.